0: Hello and welcome to the Highway to Health Show. My guest for this episode is Tom King. He's an entrepreneur, author, and self-described biohacker. Amongst his many accomplishments, Tom is most proud of how he was able to change his life by taking ownership of his health, putting in the work, and never looking back. In his book, Guy Gone Keto, he shares not only a diet, but his entire wellness program, the one that helped him lose more than 70 pounds, and one which I assure you, will keep you fit and healthy for life if you follow it. As you can imagine, this was a very interesting conversation filled with tons of actionable advice that you will be sure to benefit from. So just sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired. Here's my conversation with Tom King. And remember, you are on the highway to health, and I'm your guide to get
1: you there. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices? cutting-edge nutrition, and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the Stem Cell Guy, where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Highway to Health
0: Show. I am joined today, as I shared in our introduction, by Tom King. And he has had such a tremendous transformation, but I don't want to take over from him. I'll let him say hi and share with us a little bit about this journey. What got you into this incredible life transformation?
2: Thanks, Dr. E. And also, thank you so much for hosting me on your podcast. What got me into the whole ketogenic lifestyle, I think, was I sort of had a pivotal moment about five years ago. And I work in the sports nutrition industry. I'm a food formulator and my company supplies sweeteners to to food manufacturers that specifically work in low-carb, high-fat, keto categories. So it was about five years ago and I was in Las Vegas for a trade show and I had a customer take me out to dinner. And of course, I had you know steak and potato and cake and wine and I got up to my room at the Luxor Hotel in Vegas, and I sort of hit a wall. So I looked in the mirror, and I was like, wow, I really, don't, I really don't like what I see. I was carrying like 35 pounds of extra weight, which, you know, I'm 6'2", so it's not too hard for me to cover it up. But I wasn't in optimal health. My blood pressure was, you know, 170 over 90 on average. You know, I was on blood pressure meds. I was on a protein pump inhibitors like Prilosec because I had terrible heartburn. So, you know, and I obviously had some inflammation going on. But I think at that point, you know, I just looked in the mirror and I felt like a huge imposter because I'm working in, you know, sports nutrition and, you know, touting the benefits of a ketogenic diet where I was anything but ketogenic, you know, and I think that probably the pain of that crappy behavior had finally exceeded the pleasure that I was getting from stuffing my face with food that wasn't good for me and drinking too much wine and just not having a healthy lifestyle. And at that point, that's when I committed to really making keto a part of my life. And at that point, it was a journey though, because, you know, I thought I could have a cheat day. And so my cheat days were Sundays. So I'd go, I'd go six days and, practice intermittent fasting and you know keto and then that seventh day i would just have ice cream and hamburgers and pizza and french fries and beer and what i found is like i had a food hangover on monday it took me until wednesday to really get myself back into nutritional ketosis and it's like okay so really one cheat day turns into four days of recovery so you only get like a few days and that's that's when I discovered that if you're going to do keto, that it needs to be a lifestyle change. And that's the only way that it will work. Otherwise, this is going to be a big yo-yo and a big cycle for you. And that's where I started journaling about it. And a year later, I had a book. Yeah, for sure. I actually
0: was just sharing with you how I read your book earlier today in preparation for this interview. And one of the things that really struck me the most from it and it's something that i've shared with our listeners here before is the fact that you don't necessarily diet but you adopt a new lifestyle and we recently spoke as well we've had some other experts about bench eating and all these different areas and the one commonality that we seem to see with all of them especially successful ones is that people adopt this identity they become this new person so kind of like when you explained your own journey, that's a little bit of what happened with you. Would you agree with it?
2: Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, that's, you know, when I threw myself into actually, you know, living a ketogenic lifestyle rather than dieting. I mean, diets are temporary. You know, lifestyle is permanent if you stick with it. And that had to be sort of the direction that I went. And as I journaled more and wrote the book and just got labeled gone <laughs> Keto, you know, that's when it sort of solidified my commitment to staying keto. And then also sort of paying that gift forward. Because I mean, the benefits that I got from adopting a ketogenic lifestyle were numerous, like I lost 35 pounds, which is great. You know, I feel better. I think I look better. But you know, the real benefit, the real benefit was in an inflammation, was more, you know, neurological, like being able to think clear energy levels. Like I didn't have that afternoon slump anymore. So, you know, those were the real payoffs for me. Yeah,
0: for sure. There are two things that I do, which I've learned in the last couple of years and mostly from interviewing people like you and from my training and age management and the lifestyle that I'm involved in. But there are two things that I've adopted mostly for brain focus because those of us who are not doing manual labor, we really need to have that mental clarity and that sharpness, right? And one of them is constant movement, right? So other than when I'm normally interviewing someone or doing anything like that, when I'm sitting down at the computer, I got a timer that goes up every thousand seconds, which is 16 minutes and 40 seconds exactly. And I mean, I don't just go out for a walk. I just stand up, stretch a little bit and then sit back down and that helps me tremendously. But the second thing, is adopting a more ketogenic lifestyle. And ever since I'd say, I wanna say about 2014, 2015, and very similar to how you found inspiration in Dr. Atkins, I started, recovering from veganism after you know it worked great at first and we felt really good because my wife at the time my girlfriend we did it together and we felt really really good and it turns out that it is mostly from cutting out all the crap that we were also eating right because when you focus on whole foods then you're eliminating all the processed stuff but then you think that oh my god this is it and i'm done for life right but then we discovered that we didn't feel so great you know long term and I was constantly angry and I was constantly hungry and I was constantly like on a short fuse. So I started dabbling a little bit more and I read the Bulletproof Diet by Dave Asprey. And that completely changed my mindset in terms of fats. I still thought that Atkins was the devil. And, you know, after medical school and how can he talk like that? And that's why he died of heart attack, which now we know it's false. He died because he fell down. He slipped on ice and hit his head. Um, and that completely, completely, completely changed my life. Because now my mental awareness was so much sharper and I could go on and sometimes I'd forget to eat simply because I really didn't have to. And from reading your book, that has been a big part of why you've stuck with it. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a few reasons. I mean, I think that a lot of people believe that a ketogenic lifestyle is like is super hard. Like, oh my God, all you're going to do is eat bacon and cheese all the time. And it's like, that doesn't sound hard. It doesn't. And also I run into a lot of vegans that are like, oh, you're destroying the planet with all your bacon and cheese. And it's like, look, it's like bacon and cheese make up a really small percentage of what I eat. I mean, I practice a sort of a nutritional ketogenic diet. So it's 70% fat, 20% protein. 10% carbs. And these carbs are generally like cruciferous vegetables or lettuces and stuff like that. I mean, it's been super easy for me because, you know, when you say that, you know, you forget to eat, that's, I believe, is because fat is so satiating and it's slow burning. And that would be the difference with your brain function as well. Like if your brain is functioning on glucose, you know, and once those glucose stores kind of end, you know, that's where you can get your slump and your drop off. But it's like, When, you know, when you eat fat, your liver metabolizes the fat, you know, and turns it into ketones and your brain can actually burn ketones, but it burns it at a a slower, more steady rate. And I think that's the thing that that's helped me the most is that steady burn instead of those spikes.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, those are all tremendous, tremendous benefits. I want to go a little bit deeper into this because I think that a lot of our listeners, especially this year. I mean, if somebody hasn't heard of the keto diet by by October, November of 2019, I don't know where they live. They probably are not listening to this podcast anyway, right? So a lot of people are curious about the ketogenic diet. They see a lot of people have great success. They see a lot of really positive results, not just in weight loss, but in mental acuity and in a lot of different things. But they feel exactly how you described it at first. like, there's only so much bacon and cheese that I can eat. So why don't you walk us through, if you will, what is a normal day of eating for you?
2: Well, I practice intermittent fasting. So my feeding window is generally between 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. So I don't usually eat after that. I would say when I break my fast, like one o'clock or so, usually avocado, like today I've got soup. So I'm like a fanatic about soup. So I've got, I mean, I constantly have, Bones boiling in a pot. <laughs> that sounds crazy. <laughs> it's like I just make broth all the time. So there's <laughs> that even sounds crazier. So I'm always making broth, and soup is really amazing because you know you can add vegetables to it. Like I have one that's sort of, I would say southeast Asian inspired, you know, that has cilantro and a lot of interesting sort of Asian spices, lemongrass. So today I've got soup with a half avocado and two hard boiled eggs. And in that soup, there's veggies, but there's also shrimp, cut up sausage. And, you know, that will be my lunch. And that will probably take me until, you know, I'll be full, plenty full until probably six or seven when I get home. And then my dinner is generally not a dinner. I usually like to graze for, you know, at dinner, which is eating nuts and maybe a piece of cheese or something like that. So, I don't eat a ton. I mean, what I eat is pretty dense. So I feel like I'm getting enough calories, but, and I'll mix it up. Like yesterday I had a kale salad with chicken thighs. So I prefer chicken thighs because they're higher in fat, a little lower in protein. So that, which leads me into another one of sort of the misnomers about the ketogenic diet is that all you eat is meat because that will throw you out. So one of the things that I continually watch is don't eat too much protein because it'll convert to glycogens and glycogens are, you know, basically sugar stored in your muscles that you'll have to deplete before you can go into proper keto. So and I mix it up. I have desserts. I have desserts sometimes. And, you know, my desserts are usually nuts that I've mixed, you know, that I've heated and mixed with sugar-free chocolate chips. So, I mean, I'm not deprived. (laughs) I'm not deprived by any stretch of the imagination. And probably one of the biggest questions I get is like, well, what about alcohol? And it's like, yeah, I drink alcohol, but I don't drink alcohol in excess because alcohol is ethanol and ethanol is metabolized in your liver as well. And it can keep you from producing or metabolizing fats into ketones. But as far as alcohol goes, I stay away from wine because it's so high in sugar. Occasionally I'll have a beer The beer that I have is usually under three net carbs and under 99 calories. I limit myself to one, but I would say that my guilty pleasure, because everybody wants to know what that is, my guilty pleasure is whiskey, having a nice glass of really good whiskey on the rocks with a little bit of water in it. There you go.
0: And that's the thing. You don't necessarily have to, we hear this a lot, you know, especially you go online and you hear of the people preaching these different sides, whether it's vegan or whether it's carnivore, whether it's keto, whatever it is. And you see a lot of them kind of like just wanting to be perfect and nobody's perfect. Right. But then people feel bad because they feel like they're not really following it or they, I really cannot do all of those things. Like, no, I mean, you will have to stop eating certain things, But it doesn't mean that you will never have them, number one. It doesn't mean that you will actually miss them. A lot of the times you realize that you don't necessarily miss them that much. And like you said one of the most important things is understanding that keto and actually you said it that keto is more about high fat and not so much about whether you're eating one thing or the other i also had Frank Yosa here in the show with some time ago and he is the founder of ketonate and it's one of these exogenous ketones but he was sharing with us how he does a vegan ketogenic approach and he does eat high fat but he eats mostly vegetables and i think you know obviously you have a much broader approach to a keto diet very similar to what I used to eat when I was doing the full on keto. So I think, you know, there's great variety and there's great ways for people to really, you know, adapt and adopt it as a lifestyle, which is an important thing.
2: As far as vegan keto, I've worked with people that have have done vegan keto before. And I mean, I'm not a hater of vegan lifestyle, but I mean from the research that I've done, I don't think that being a vegan is sustainable. A sustainable lifestyle for human beings just by the mere fact that I don't think that we're able to methylate B12 on our own. We actually have to get B12 from outside sources, and I'm not sure of, also of the efficacy of taking B12 orally. I think a lot of it ends up breaking down in your stomach, and I think that being continually being deficient in B12 is going to lower your energy levels and can even bring on like a certain amount of metabolic syndrome because you're not metabolizing well enough. And that's where, you know, I've seen plenty of vegans that are basically gelatin skeletons, you know, like not very good muscle mass and not good energy. So, I mean, whatever works for you, like if keto doesn't work for you, if a modified keto works for you, if, you know, Whole30 works for you, paleo, you know, it's whatever makes you feel, I think the healthiest and helps you maintain like a healthy weight. I think that that's the direction. And I also think that a lot of people suffer from body consciousness. And I think that, you know, on the internet, there's a lot of body shaming. And I really think that that's more destructive than anything else. I mean, we all need to work towards self-acceptance. And, you know, I didn't adopt a ketogenic lifestyle because I really couldn't stand what I saw in the mirror. Like, you're fat and ugly and, you know, it wasn't that as much as... It was my integrity that I felt that I wasn't living in alignment with the industry that I was, and I wasn't living in alignment with sort of the values and principles that I had. But I think that for people in your audience that are carrying extra weight and look in the mirror and they don't like what they see, I think that that's a separate issue. I think it's a separate issue from taking on a ketogenic lifestyle, and that if you're going to do keto, also integrating some sort of a ritual or some sort of a modality that will help reinforce self-acceptance. I mean, if we all accepted ourselves and accepted one another, this world would be completely different. For sure. For sure. I had
0: the opportunity to talk to Udo Erasmus a while ago here, and you know, I mean, he talks a lot about healthy fats as well. And funnily enough, our conversation geared more towards that, towards kindness, towards acceptance, towards understanding and helping each other. And when you stop and you think about it and you realize that a lot of the times we are so mean to ourselves and you know we say things to ourselves that we would never say to somebody else. And the thing is, our subconscious is listening. Even if we're just thinking them, our subconscious is listening. So they're finding ways to support whatever you're telling yourself. So if you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, oh my God, you're disgusting, you're a pig and you cannot stop eating. Your brain will start looking for all the times where you couldn't stop eating and is going to present them to you kind of like to reinforce your beliefs. Like, yeah, sure. You're right. Here it is. Right. And true of the matter, like we said at the very beginning, this, start skewing that identity that you need to form. And it is actually a very interesting way to segue into something else that you mentioned in your book that I completely agree with. And I am so, so happy to see somebody kind of like from a different industry and from a different perspective, kind of like address this topic, which is journaling. So this is a practice that i brought into my life a while ago and has changed it. But I was so so happily surprised to see the impact that it made in your life as you started using it to change your health journey. So can you share
2: with us a little bit of that? (laughs) This is a topic that just is right at my heart. So yeah, I'm an avid journaler and I have a lot of people because I do a lot of podcasts and they're like, hey, where do you even start with journaling? Because I'll sit in front of a blank page and don't even know what to do. And I'm like, oh, I have a great solution for that. and That's asking yourself questions because I think that you ask yourself the right question, and you're going to find the right answer to just about anything. So in my journaling process, I have a blank page. I have a blank page in front of me every single morning, so I never miss journaling. I mean, journaling is the primary thing, and I'm committed to it on a daily basis, meaning I bring my journal everywhere with me. It doesn't matter the circumstances. You will find me writing first thing in the morning, and I would think by journaling, I sort of create the masterpiece that I want my day to be. But I do ask those questions. Like, I ask questions, and the first question I ask myself is, how do I feel today? Like, what's going on with me? You know, do I feel frustrated? Do I feel angry? Do I feel happy? Do I feel well-rested? You know, so I ask myself, like, how am I feeling? Next question I ask myself is, what can I do today to do or be better And that one's a toughie because you have to be kind to yourself because it's easy to slip into beating yourself up like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to be lazy today like I was yesterday. It's like, what am I going to do to be better? You know, I'm going to practice sobriety. And when I say sobriety, I don't mean staying off liquor and pot. I mean sobriety of keeping yourself in check with your ego. After I write a bunch on what I'm going to do to be better that next day, the one that really I've been working on a lot is what am I willing to let go of? that is holding me back from being the best person I possibly can be. And this one, I have been, this has been the question that's just been, that I've been working on for the past six months. And the thing that comes up for me is fear. It's like, what am I going to let go? I'm going to let go of fear. I'm going to let go of the fear of what other people think of me. I'm going to let go of my fear of aging, becoming infirm, you know, my fear of death. So a couple months ago, I was just like, I can't remember, I was listening to a podcast or reading something, and I ran into the serenity prayer. And so the serenity prayer is from AA, and I'm not a religious person at all, so I kind of twisted it around. So I think it goes, God grant me the ability to accept the things that I cannot change, change the things I cannot accept, and the clarity to recognize the difference between the two. And so... I've been using that and leveraging the serenity prayer into give me the ability to accept the things I cannot change. Like, I can't change aging. I can't change that I'm going to die. And I can't change what other people think. And aging is one of those things that people are, Ah, I'm aging. But you know what? Aging is a privilege. Aging is a privilege because the alternative is death. And so it's like when you look at these things that you start shifting your mindset and it's like, well, so give me the ability to let go of my fear of death. And it's like, well, death is a common thread of all living things, like all living things do come to an end. And when you really embrace mortality and you see how short life is, it really makes the moments that you have left so much richer. And that part of it is so, so poignant and beautiful to me. And then moving on to grant me the ability to change the things I cannot accept. And so when you recognize the things that you have the power to change, mindset, thoughts, habits, your circle of friends, circumstances, most circumstances that you find yourself in, what it does is it brings that power back to you. It's like some things you can't change, some things you can And work on having the clarity to know the difference between the two. And from that, I move into gratitude you know, like, what am I grateful for? What am I grateful for today? I'm grateful for all of the people who love and care for me. You know, I'm grateful for all my employees that have contributed to building my business. And you put yourself in a state of gratitude and you can't really have a negative attitude. (laughs) It's just, it doesn't work. Like you just put yourself in that state of gratitude and all of the crap and all of the stress seems to go away. And then I wrap up my journaling with a breathing affirmation so i think breath is probably one of the most important things that we can use to get ourselves grounded so i just do an affirmation of like with every breath i draw i attract abundance i attract self-acceptance i attract loving kindness and then with every exhale i let go of self-limiting beliefs thoughts habits situations people and stuff like that. And then the next thing you know, you have an entire eight and a half by 11 piece of paper filled.
0: So that's another interesting thing. You don't have a structured journal because a lot of people think that they need to buy these specific journals. It's pretty much from what you shared, it's a free flowing notebook. Did you really use it to just upload your thoughts and pretty much everything else that's really in your
2: mind? And you have, from what you shared, you do have some structure but you
0: also have a lot of
2: freedom right i do have a lot of freedom but i mean the common thread is the questions like i ask myself questions and it's morphed you know it's morphed a lot like it morphs probably every 6 months so 6 months ago it was about forgiveness you know asking forgiveness of people that i've caused stress and aggravation and sorrow or whatever and then also putting out forgiveness, like I forgive this person for doing what they did. And so it does shift. I mean, it's a very free form, but it's consistent in the questions that I ask myself. And the one thing that never changes, well, I should say the two things that never change in my journal is gratitude and the affirmation.
0: That's great. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sure that a lot of people will be able to take it. And the reason I wanted to ask you that question is because a lot of people hear these things and dismiss them as, woo, I don't need that because it sounds simple. They're like, oh, that's too simple. They're looking for the next sophisticated answer. They're looking for the complex thing because I think in our head, we're thinking if it was so simple, everybody would do it. But then I also remember Jim Rohn's words and he says, the problem with simple is that if it's simple to do, it's very simple not to do. And that's what ends up happening to a lot of people. So whenever I see something like this from one of our guests, it's like, listen, you have got to share this because you've certainly enjoyed success in several areas, including health, which is what most of the people listening to the show are probably seeking. So how much of an impact has this cost? And your answer didn't disappoint at all because by the way, for those of you listening and those of you watching, here's his book. And I literally read it today. It's a very simple read. And the reason I bring it up is because It shows how pretty much anyone can decide to take control and ownership of their health and take control and ownership of their entire life. And what you detail here, and I do want to say that, is not just a roadmap for keto. It's really a roadmap for change, for lasting change. And it's adopting an attitude. It's recognizing your mission because that's what you said. You said, listen, I got hooked into these amazing no-calorie sweeteners And I decided to make it my life's mission and I'm not living in accordance with it. So that's really, you know, identifying those things. And that's what I really, really appreciated and took away from your book. So like I said, thank you so much for sharing that. Let's just take a quick turn here. And why don't you share with us a little bit about, you know, I just picked a little bit here to our listeners your company you're doing some great sweeteners and you were kind enough to send some for me and my family and we tried the steak sauce and that was very very good and we brought some of the sweeteners back to spain so what got you into that why don't you share with us a little bit of this company and how you've grown it and what your mission is
2: well i started it in my garage (laughs) so first and foremost so it was about 1993 or 94 i ran into this gentleman who'd come back from paraguay And he had some leaves, some grounded up leaves made into a paste in a jar. And he said, hey, you should try this. And I tried it and it was about 25 times sweeter than sugar. And I was really amazed by it. I'm like, oh my God, what is this? And he said, this is stevia. And at that point, I just immediately thought, wow, if there was a way that we could sort of naturally extract those sweet constituents out of this leaf, this might be a perfect natural sweetener that might be able to replace aspartame and Nutrasweet and all of the other chemicals that were out there. That sort of became my quest. And you know, I had a day job, you know, I worked as an executive for a broadcast group. And so I had my day job and that was supporting my side hustle, which was hiring chemists to be able to come up with a way to use natural water extraction to get the stevia you know, the stevia glycosides, which are the sweet constituents out, so it could be a high intensity sweetener. So it took me about four or five years and I was able to partner with some companies and we started bringing stevia into the United States. And then I found myself getting heavily involved in helping customers reformulate because you can't just drop stevia into something and expect to replace sugar because there's so much volume that you're missing. Because the stevia extract is about 250 times sweeter than sugar. So I found myself doing more and more and more formulations and adding more natural compounds that I would be running into, you know, like alcohol sugars and a new one that I've been working with called allulose, which is absolutely amazing. So I found myself creating plug-in replacements for table sugar and working with hundreds of food manufacturers and trying to make their products a little more healthy.
0: But then you ran into a lot of struggles and that's what I like, that you came up with this great new concept and you found out that there was a lot of pushback. I have some experience being in the stem cell field. I have some experience with pushback from the FDA. So (laughs) why do you think this happened? Why do you think that they wouldn't let you bring it in as a sweetener, and instead you had to go in the, the nutritional, what was it, a nutritional supplement, right? Yeah,
2: dietary supplement. So, I mean, this is like a dark wormhole that'd be easy to get into. I mean, the U.S. FDA is like the only branch of our government where the people that sit on the board are allowed to be investors in companies that they review. That's probably all I'm going to say about that, you can get on the interwebs and see, <laughs> and see. Our listeners are smart like that. I've brought up the topic more than once. Yeah, so I mean that's part of it, and you know big corporations don't want that type of interference. I mean sugar is also a subsidized crop in the United States, so it doesn't matter how cheap they sell it; they're always getting a rebate check back from the government to make up for that difference. And so sugar is sort of an insidious compound that's used in food because you know, you could add sugar and if sugar costs you 15 cents a pound and tomato paste costs you $2 a pound and you find that you could add five times as much sugar and reduce the tomato paste and just increase salt and vinegar and have something that tastes like ketchup. But the cost of the product to you is a quarter of what it would have been. That increases those tangible bottom line gains and Profits to big corporations. So there's a lot of components to sugar and sort of why it's used in food manufacturing. And then there's the other factor of, oh, when you have sugar, you know, it triggers the same sort of pleasure zones in your brain that cocaine does. I mean, it's true, it's been shown, but I'm not sure that that's, I'm not sure that food manufacturers that use a lot of sugar are insidious that way. I think that. It's more of, hey, we're going to save a bunch of money by using sugar instead of other compounds. And then there's just the added benefit of people getting addicted to it.
0: I tend to agree with you about these macabre theories, and I don't necessarily think that it goes all the way there. I think it's more about profits and money, and I completely agree. If they find a way to add a lot of sugar and makes it a quarter of the price and extends the shelf life, then that's a win-win in their books. Not so much in our health books, but it is for them. And the reason I asked you is because also a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Dr. Glenn Livingston here, and he talks about binge eating. But before that, he's a clinical psychologist, and he worked consulting with several companies of the big food manufacturers. And surprisingly, he also found himself, after surrounding himself with these clients, that he was incredibly obese. And then it was that he stepped back and he kind of like analyzed what was going on in his life and realized all these different things. And one of the things that he brought up is that the amount of stuff that manufacturers can put into food that isn't really food and get away with it, like they can fill it up with basically cardboard, he was saying, and then you can add massive amounts of sugar and you can add all those things because in the end, what the FDA is testing for is, is it going to kill you? Well, no, not really. Not right away, at least. So they let it go ahead, right? So that's what's shocking about the entire system. And that's why I think it is so important for us as consumers to really take control of our health. And that has always been my mantra, because health is an active pursuit that we have to participate in. It's not, we cannot expect our doctors to make us healthy. We cannot expect... The government to make us healthy. We cannot expect
2: somebody else to make us healthy. It's something that each of us has to actually pursue. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think that it's critically important to read labels. You know, if you're getting, I mean, I think it's important that you shop the outside aisles of the grocery store because the outside aisles are where they're going to have the produce and, you know, meat. And those are the things that you sort of need to lean into. Like once you start getting into the inner corridors, of the grocery stores where you're finding processed food, things in cans and things in bottles. And I'm not saying that everything in cans and bottles is bad, but I would say read the labels and read the nutritional facts panel because the nutritional facts panel will tell you how much sugar is in it. And that gives you the power of the consumer to make those decisions and say, you know, I'm not going to buy this because it's got 23 grams of sugar per serving or I'm not going to buy this because, you know, there's five ingredients, you know, like polysorbate 5 and, you know, and monosodium glutamate and potassium sorbate and all of these various different compounds that you don't recognize them. And it's like, it doesn't sound like food to me. <laughs> like, Especially when you're shopping for an entire family, right? If you're going to feed your children. Uh,
0: Just before this interview, I'm in Spain, so it's almost 9 p.m. And at around 7 p.m., my wife came over with our son. We were a two-year-old. And there's a park right out here. So we spent some time there. And there was another group of kids and they were being given what I can assume is dinner. And it was these juices in a box Each kid had a juice in a box, a little lollipop, and some sort of Twinkie bread thing, and that was it. And that was that was like normal. And my wife just looked at me, and like our son went over there, kind of like to play with them. And she said, like, no, 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 just come on over here. I don't want. (laughs) And she told me, I don't want them offering him something, and he might take it. (laughs) So we're a bit exaggerating about that but you know what? I think you have to, you have to be careful. You have to be aware of all those things. So, Tom, this has been such a tremendous interview so far, and I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're very busy. You took time off your schedule to be here with us. And I really, like I said earlier, I really do want to let you know, I want to acknowledge you for that. I think you're doing a great job. And I think, you know, helping bring keto to the limelight and really It has helped so many people and I think that making it easy and accessible like you have done with the great products that you're putting out there. And like you said, the steak sauce is really good. Some of the other sauces that we've tried are really, really good so people can really get a taste for what keto is like and putting together what you did with the book. And I know that for you, it's probably one of the like, oh, it was easy just putting it out there. But in reality, I think it's a great introduction for a lot of people who want to change their health. So thank you so
2: much for doing that. Thank you, doctor. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's uh. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just hard for me to believe that I even wrote a book because people show it to me and they'll be like, are you going to autograph this? I'm like, what are you crazy? (laughs) But you get used to it. And I mean, every comment that I get like that and every compliment that I get like that just really sort of motivates me to write another book because I like to come from a space of contribution. And if I can make a little impact on the world and make people's lives better, I'm going to do it. So thank you so much for having me on today.
0: Yeah, not a problem. Now, before we say goodbye,
2: there's a couple of things that
0: we normally ask our guests. And one of them is, what are your top two or three simple, actionable pieces of advice that whomever's listening to us right now can take as soon as they finish this podcast, they can start taking action there to change their life around?
2: Yeah, I would say number one, think it and ink it. And so what that means is write it down. So if you have an intention or you have something that you want to manifest, you write it down and come up with an action plan. I would say that number two is stay true to yourself. Like don't make a lifestyle change for anybody else but yourself. Okay. I mean, you're looking, the only acceptance that you're ever going to get is self-acceptance. And my third thing would be always come from a space of loving kindness because you never know what another person is going through. And it's easy to assume, but if you just like, I mean, if you just go through the world and just express loving kindness to one another, I mean, this world could make a major shift.
0: Completely agree with every single one of those. Thank you so much for sharing them and for spelling them out so clearly. One final question before we say goodbye: Did you have a good time here on the Highway to Health show?
2: Oh. Absolutely. I wish I was in Spain right now. We'd go out for tapas and I'm sure we'd be out all night talking about stem cell therapy and keto carnivore. And there's so much more to talk about. For
0: sure. I mean, we've got a couple of pending conversations and we'll make sure to put some time aside for that. Thank you so much for joining us. For everyone listening, this has been a phenomenal interview. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have and just take action. It couldn't be simpler than that. It's one step at a time. Write it down start working towards it. So I hope you've enjoyed it. I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to Tom King and Dr. E talk about adopting a ketogenic lifestyle. I'll see you here next week.
1: Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to DRE.show. Again, that's Dr. E dot show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping you live ageless.
0: So what you think? I really like the energy that Tom brought to our show and how he has taken such massive ownership of his health and well-being, because that's exactly what it takes to turn your life around. If you want to learn more about Tom and his journey, make sure to pick up a copy of his book. I'll put the link to that in the show notes and in the description for this episode. What was your favorite takeaway? Tag me on Instagram at Dr. and let me know. Before we say goodbye, I want you to know about my secret vault. In it, you will find the original, often much longer versions of my conversations with featured experts, as well as other interviews which have not yet aired or were not specifically recorded for the podcast. You can also find all the resources for every episode, secret trainings and videos I've made over the years and many other goodies. To request access, Just head on over to dre.show forward slash goodies, that's G-O-O-D-I-E-S, and follow the instructions. But that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You've been listening to Tom King and Dr. E talk about health and the ketogenic lifestyle. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you here next week. And remember, you are on the highway to health, and I'm your guide to get you there.